Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. Yes, that's what I'm talking about right there. Going once, going twice. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for coming. Been wonderful things that have happened this week. I have a brand new Bible that Sister Hebel bought for me. Look at that. Look at that. Very nice. So, will you stand with me, please? We welcome all of you that are here to our guests, wonderful people that watch so faithfully online. I, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago I was in College Station, Texas, and then uh, two weeks ago I was in Mississippi. Last week I was, or this past week I've been in Little Rock. La Patie Roche. And uh, I have met hundreds of people this summer who faithfully watch and audit this, this live stream and this service. So I greet you and I thank you for your, for your faithful watching. And I'm grateful that this thing obviously blesses you. And uh, that's what we wanted to do. We have the tools now. To preach the gospel to the world. Amen. And uh, I know there's a lot of junk on the internet. But the Bible said where sin abounds, grace doth even yet much more abound. So we're trying to sanctify that thing. (laughs) From Psalms chapter 65 and verse 4 it says, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. I'm going to teach you something in this service different than what I did in the beginning earlier today. I want to teach you something called staying close. Staying close. God bless you. You may be seated. There are books in the Bible that are companion text. Um, Samuel Chronicles are, are, are like that. Um, so many things repeated in Chronicles that are in Kings. You'll read that a lot of times in the Bible. Are not these things recorded in the Chronicles of the Kings? And you get in Kings and, you know, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. And then they were split and 10 of them were called Israel. Two of them were called Judah. So when you get in the book of Kings, it'll bounce back and forth. This was the king of Judah. In the next chapter, this is the king of Israel. On and on and on it goes. And um, years ago, I got fascinated with a verse in Acts chapter 15. I've been all around this racism subject for so many years. And... um, Acts 15 is the first argument in the New Testament church. 
at least among the church people. And what it was, was all of these Gentiles are coming into the church. And the Jews are getting intimidated. And, uh, and they basically said, uh, okay, we'll let you join our church, but all the men are going to have to be circumcised. So I'm 65 years old. That's a deal breaker for me. And uh, I'm not going to join your church if that's what's required. And they had all kinds of dietary laws and all kinds of extra things. There's a verse, I think it's in Colossians, where Paul said, beware of the concision. And then people say, that's circumcision. No, 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 it's not. The word concision means mutilation. Circumcision was a very precise procedure, but concision was, and he said there are people who are mutilating the gospel. And that's what was going on in Acts 15. It's like, okay, you need to repent, be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, plus, 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 plus. And it was just, uh, they were teaching a lot of these things as, as um, salvation issues. I, I've got in quite a skirmish through the years about my concept about this. But I, I really, truly, legitimately believe I'm right. And... Um, when Sinai caught on fire in Acts or in Exodus 19, and the Lord told them, you touch that mountain, you're going to die. So he told Moses, put a fence round about the mountain. Except he didn't tell Moses where to put the fence. I don't know if Moses put the fence at the bottom of the mountain or went 500 yards. But I don't know. That's the difference between churches, okay? Um, some pastors put the fence right at the bottom of the hill. Some people go 100 yards, whatever. That's, that's church government. You know, you come here and say, well, uh, they didn't do that in the church where I used to go. Well, you're not going to that church no more. So it's just different, you know. And uh, um, I, I was taught all my life, you know, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord and filled with the Spirit. And I, I, I believe in that message very, very, very strongly. And... Um, but I was also taught that there are certain things we have to do, and if we don't do them, we're going to hell. And I don't believe that. I, um, I just don't. Now, don't go out of here or don't listen to me online and say, <clears throat> Pastor Hoppin's throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Because um, when, I, when Renee and I first came to Michigan in 1988, we were considered very, very liberal <clears throat> Now, I'm considered very, very conservative. Except we didn't change. <laughs> we're the same people we were. I, don't, I got gray hair. And what hair I got left, that's changed. But, my, my, you know, still teaching, preaching the same thing that we did back then. See, when you read the book of Exodus, I think the book of Exodus can be broken into three large categories. You have 1 through 19. The first 19 chapters is defined by the name of the book, Exodus. Or what is it? It's exit. They're getting out. They're getting out of Egypt. And then you have 20 through 24, which are the, the law or what I'll call the rules. And then you have starting at 25 through 40, the next 16 chapters. This is where they build, they actually construct the tabernacle of Moses. So to me, you have 19 chapters of deliverance. You have 
uh, <clears throat> what is it? 20, 20, he had five chapters of the rules, the disciplines. And then you have 25 through 40 is church life. I, you, you can't say that the law that was given to those people back then guaranteed that they got to go into Canaan. Because in fact, as near as I can read, there's only two of them left years later, and that's Joshua and Caleb. It says with many of them, he wasn't pleased. I'm convinced we, you know, we're called disciples, so there's a discipline to this thing. It's the word righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? It's just doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord. You know, we've heard this word holiness for years. What in the world is holiness anyway? Holiness is the nature of God. It means he loves what's right and he hates what's not right. That's basic definition of holiness. I'm convinced the disciplines that we practice are not here to guarantee we get to go to heaven. I think the disciplines that we put in our life are there to keep us from going back to Egypt. And you'll find that when those disciplines are discarded and thrown away in a very short amount of time, you can't tell those people from the very world that God delivered them from. So be very careful about, you know, if you do this, you're going to hell. Um, I don't have the authority to send people to hell. And neither do you. Jesus said, I have the keys to death and hell. So he decides who dies, not you or me. When you play games on those keys, um, you're in trouble. Thou shall not murder. That's, that's, that's very established there. And uh, so you get into that Acts 15 and uh, it's rough, man. And so this, this, this is, I use my brand new Bible. Oh, this is beautiful, man. Letters are big enough I can see them. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you can't be saved. <clears throat> and so Paul and Barnabas had no small <laughs> dissension and disputation. That means there's a big fight. Big fight. So they go down to Jerusalem in verse 4. And um, verse 5, the Pharisees are there. As I tried to show you, was it Bible class? All Pharisees weren't bad, you know. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, John chapter 3. Paul said, I'm the stock of Benjamin. I'm a, that's concerning the law, touching the law. I'm a Pharisee. So all Pharisees weren't bad. And uh, so it's verse 7. There's a lot of disputing. So Peter roses up in verse 7 and he takes the hit. He said, fellas, I'm the culprit here. I went down to Cornelius' house. Now I know you think he's a Gentile dog. However, <clears throat> they received the like same precious gift as we who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, it says, this, this is the secret. Verse 9, you know, in Acts 10, these people were filled with the Holy Spirit, but weren't baptized. 
This is the only place in the Bible you will find that going on. But verse 9 is very important. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So what Peter is saying is, Cornelius and his house repented. You can get the Holy Ghost without being baptized. You will not get the Holy Ghost without repenting. You have to repent. And as you know, in Acts 10, after the Lord, while Peter had spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, or the posse, that Peter brought with him to cover his tracks, they were astonished. Because the Gentiles, remember what it said? Because it on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Next verse, for they heard them speak with tongues. How did them self-righteous Jews know the Gentiles had been filled with the Holy Ghost? They heard them speak with tongues. How am I going to know you get the Holy Ghost? I'm going to hear you speak with tongues. How are you going to know I have the Holy Ghost? You're going to hear me speak with tongues. Tongues is a sign, not to the believer, to the unbeliever. As long as there's an unbeliever left on the planet, people are going to keep speaking in tongues. It is God's way of witnessing to this earth. This is legitimate power. I have taken over the most difficult part of their body, their faculty of speech, and I have magnified myself with their tongue. That's power. That's power. That's real power. And so, you know, Peter's taking the hit. Verse 12, it got quiet. Verse 13, and after they had held their peace, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, the bishop, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, Simeon, or Simon Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this, watch, and to this agree the words of the prophets. As it is written, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Now there's a, I think he's still alive. His name is F.F. Bruce. He's considered probably the greatest living scholar about the book of Acts alive in the world today, he claims that in verse 17, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called in baptism. That's what he claims. Known unto God are all of his works in the beginning of the world. So the Gentiles are coming into the church. Why? Because James said, we rebuilt the tabernacle of David. So when I read that verse, All the bells and whistles went off inside of me. What in the world is the tabernacle of David? I couldn't find any books about it. I had never heard anybody preach or teach about it. But I did remember a verse in Amos. And if you go to Amos chapter 9, it says in verse number 11, In that day... Will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as it was in the days of old. So it was there, it fell down, but I'm going to build it back. And when I build it back, the residue, the Gentiles, they're going to come into the church. Now, now, see, I was taught all my life, we are Pentecostal people and we have the truth. To quote Richard Nixon, <laughs> Mitch Hedberg died years ago. Mitch Hedberg 
used to make me laugh. Mitch Hedberg said, everybody's going peace, peace, peace. He said, just go in the room and say two. <laughs> One, two. Just takes a little while. I don't get it. So. <laughs> it's obvious to me. You know, what is the truth? Well, to, to classic Orthodox Pentecostal people, the truth is repentance, is Acts 2.38. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, infilling the Holy Ghost, speaking with tongues. That's what we say is the truth. But there's no verse in the Bible that said that's the truth. However, there is a verse where he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. So I'm convinced the truth is not a doctrinal position. I'm convinced the truth is a person. See, there's only three groups of people in the world that are true oneness people. Orthodox Jews, Islam, and oneness apostolics. We believe there's one God. And uh, that great prophecy, in that day shall uh, his name will be one, one. And um, so I, I remember talking to a rabbi here years ago and quoted that thing from Deuteronomy 6 and 4. And he, Shema Yisrael, Elohim, Eloheinu. It stunned him that I knew that. And he said, how do you know that? I said, because I share a, a, a concept of God with you. And I said, I believe the Lord is one. And he just flat out explained to me, the reason we don't want anything to do with Christianity is because Christians are Trinitarians. And this is what he said to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, if you don't know the numerical integrity of God, how can you claim to know God? If you say God is three persons, you don't know God. You need to understand the numerical integrity. God is one. God is one. And, I, and I've done this for, but here we go again. There's not a spirit of the Father separate from the spirit of the Son, separate from the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 said there's one spirit. John 4, 24 said God is that one spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 said the Lord is that same spirit. And Saul said, who art that Lord? I am Jesus. The saving name of our God is Jesus Christ. Okay? That's, that's, that's oneness 101. Yes? Yeah, that's first grade. And, 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 and it's just... So it caused me to say, what in the world? I've heard about the tabernacle of Moses. I've heard about the temple of Solomon. What in the world is the tabernacle of David? And so what you have to do is you have to study two chapters. You have to study 2 Samuel chapter 6 and 1 Chronicles 15. They are companion text. And it's an amazing story because in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 1, this is what it says. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Watch, now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And so that's it was back then, you know. Philistines on one side of the valley. 
Israel on the other side of the valley. Well, they, uh, they're, they're not liking the odds. So in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, the people got the preacher's boys. The, the pastor is a guy named Eli. Bible said he's fat and he's blind and he's a lousy preacher. Lousy. Said there was no open vision in those days. And he's got these two rotten boys. They're Hophni and Phinehas. And I never did like that. Hophni sounds real too close for comfort to me. But, uh, but um, these boys went into the Holy of Holies and snatched the Ark of the Covenant and took it down to the Valley of Ebenezer. The Bible said that when they went there, I think it's verse 5, it says the earth rang. It, the ground shook when they brought the ark down to the, to the battlefield. However, the next day they lost. They had to shout. But they didn't have a relationship. See, they thought as long as they had the box, they could live any way they want. And they're, they have to win. But see, they didn't have no relationship with the God of the box. They had the box, but they didn't have a relationship with the God of the box. I, I don't have time to, I wish I did. It's just, uh, um, I got 10,000 things flying through my head right now. And, and it's just, uh, so it says in verse 10, the Philistines fought and they, they won. They beat Israel. And look at verse 11. The ark of God was taken. The two sons of Eli, two boys, they're dead. Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead. Someone runs back and tells, tells the, the pastor, you know, we lost. He didn't say, what about my boys? <laughs> First thing he said was, what about the ark? And they say, it's gone. When he heard that, he fell backwards and broke his neck. Bible said the glory was departed. So where did it go? In 1 Samuel 6 and 1, it said the ark of the Lord was in the land of the Philistines for seven months. And if you do your homework, in that seven months, we don't have a number, but it said there was a great slaughter for men. They died from colon cancer. There's a word there called emrod, which you guessed it, it's hemorrhoids. It's a humiliating way to die. But God humiliated those people. He, they took his box and put it in front of their God, Dagon. Dagon, half fish, half man. They, they come back the next day, Dagon's laying on the ground. And in true fashion, you ever heard of this before? Somebody put that back up on that, put that idol back up. I've seen people come, God starts working in their life and people just do everything they can to make sure that old idol that God's trying to tear down gets set up again. Some friend, some family member. Isn't it amazing? I've had people come to this church. <laughs> I remember a girl that came here years ago. She came here wearing a Band-Aid. I mean a Band-Aid. A very small Band-Aid. That's truth. I mean, she had, she's a wild child. 
And she married somebody. Started coming to church. Got dressed up. Got modest. Got the Holy Ghost. Got baptized. Her dad was angry. Wants to talk with me. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to hold my tongue, but I want to just fillet this guy. You have these bums that came to your house at two in the morning, knock on your door. Hey, can your daughter come out or stand out, honk the horn? She come running out two in the morning, half dressed. You never, ever, ever ask where she's going. Never ask what she's spending her money on. As long as she's coming back drunk, throwing up all over your porch, smoking dope. You See, when I, I heard some guy the other day, he, he said, we have a refrigerated truck. It's a reefer. <laughs> Where I came from, a reefer wasn't a refrigerated truck. You know? Isn't it amazing? People just do live, live like the devil. Nobody says anything. All of a sudden come to church and they're worried about you. You know, spend your money on booze and who knows God's what else. Start tithing. We're worried about you. You're in a cult. And then all that boobitation, half naked everywhere. Start dressing up modest. We're worried about you. You know, go do stupid things. But all of a sudden come to church a couple times a week. They're worried about you. What is that? They're trying to put Dagon back up on that stand is what they're doing. Trying to put that idol that God's tearing down back up in a prominent place in your life. They mean well, they're just, they don't know what they're doing. They come back the next day, Dagon's not just down a grand, he's broke apart. It's amazing what God can do in a foreign house. It's amazing what God can do in the temple of another God. They start moving that ark around. People are dying bad. Maybe God's trying to talk to us. Isn't that a novel idea? So they put the ark on a cart and they get these two cows which have just given birth to calves. Nobody driving the cart. They said, if the cows go back to the barn where their calves are crying, we're going to know there ain't nothing to it. However, if these cows override their maternal instincts and take this thing back to Israel, we're going to know God was in this. And that's exactly what happened. And, 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 and it's, it's very powerful be, 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 because when it went back, this is Samuel 7 and 1. And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. Okay? And... Uh, this is what it says in verse 2. It came to pass while the ark was in Kirjath-Jerim in Abinadab's house that the time was long. It was 20 years. 20 years. This is what it says in second. Remember, this is I'm trying to show you what's going on here. 2 Samuel 6 and 3. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. Watch. And Yuza and Ahio the sons of Abinadab drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is a Gibeah, to company the ark of God in Ohio, went before the ark. So here's the, here's the deal. Because when you get into 1 Samuel, it's Saul. Saul's king, okay? They lose the ark in these opening chapters of 1 Samuel. In 1 chapter 4, they, they, or 
verse 6 rather, they lose the ark. That's, that's the whole book of 1 Samuel. Because in 2 Samuel, David becomes king. And the first thing that David does when he becomes king is he says, where's the ark? Which means, one scripture here in 7 and 2, they've been having church for 20 years without the ark in the Holy of Holies. Which means these priests are just, they're phonies. They're taking that blood on the day of atonement and going behind the veil and there's no mercy seat to splash it on. They're having church without glory. You can have church without glory. Of course you can. Preach a little sermon, you know, have a little program, beat the Baptist to the buffet. Everything's good. You know what? I think it's in a bit of Dab's garage. So poor old David does the very same stupid thing that the Philistines did. Build a cart. It's not original with me. An old elder named Tom Fred Tenney told me years ago, Harold, you know how you build a cart? You need boards and you need big wheels. And he said, you can't ever carry the glory of God with church boards and ecclesiastical big wheels. District superintendent, presbyter, general superintendent. I got a friend. uh, I better not do that. Well, I'll really get in trouble about that. <laughs> Is that my wife encouraging me? Don't do it. Don't do that. It's been in a Benedict's house for 20 years. He's got two boys, Yuza or Uzza, whatever, and his, his pal, Ohio, you know, Columbus, Ohio, whatever. He's a Buckeye. The ark is on this cart and hits a rut. This boy has been in his garage for 20 years. What's the big deal? He just reaches up, touches the glory. It's like God tased him or whatever, electrocuted him. Wham! He's dead. This kid, through no fault of his own, has just become way too familiar with this thing. And just thinks he can do anything he wants to with God's glory. And he's laying in the road, purple, drooling out of the side of his mouth. And they're going, okay, what are we going to do with the box? Who wants the ark? Not me, bub. So who takes the ark? The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6 and 10, So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his house. Now this is when it gets cool. He's a Gittite. What is that? That is somebody that came from a city called Gath. If that sounds familiar, and I'm hoping to some of you, it does. 
because David fought a giant by the name of Goliath and he was a Philistine and he was the champion from Gath. Obed-Edom is a Philistine. He's not a Jew. And these Jews are standing back here and true, go ahead, take the box, dude. 10, 9, 8, 7, you know, waiting for this guy to check out. Well, guess what? It's, you know, they got water rationing in Obed-Edom's neighborhood. But he don't have to water his yard because his yard's just green. His cows have triplets. His corn's got three years on every stalk. Everything, his whole household, everything about it's blessed. David, true man, said, hmm, maybe we ought to read the instructions. So he goes back and said, well, see, I got to get some coethites. I got to get some sticks. I got to put it on there. And if you know your Bible, David got sons of Kohath and they took six steps and they offered a sacrifice. I don't know how long it took him to get from what's known as nation's threshing floor to Zion, which is the city of David. It's a long hike at that pace. Every six step, whoa! And he offered massive amounts of sacrifice. He gets into Jerusalem. He's coming down the street and his wife, Michelle, Michael, whatever. Is that my husband down there? David, the king, the Bible said, he's dancing in front of the ark. If I had time, I'd teach you a message. The praise always precedes the glory. Always. Don't have time to teach you that one. He comes back home. She's furious. You uncovered yourself in front of the people. It doesn't mean he, we're not talking lewd here. What it says is David took off his kingly robes and put on an ephod. Where did he get the ephod? What is the ephod? It was one of the seven pieces that the high priest wore. But if you know your Bible, David's pastor was killed by an associate of Saul named Doeg. When David went back, all that was left there was the bloody ephod of his pastor. And he wraps that bloody ephod of his pastor around him and he's dancing in front of that ark. He's dancing. He's ecstatic. Hot dog, we're going to get the box back. But it's fascinating because people say Jerusalem is the city of David. But if you study these verses carefully, it says Zion is the city of David. It's very, very specific in 2 Samuel 6. Matthew will find this for me. And, and in 1 Chronicles 15, it said, And David set the ark in the tent that he had pitched for it. That is the introduction of the tabernacle of David. Because until now, the ark has been behind a veil. See, once, this is amazing, once the ark was taken by the sons of Eli, it never went back to the Holy of Holies again in Moses' tabernacle. Never went back. David took it, pitched a tent, no veil, just pitched a tent, 
put the ark in that tent. And then he did something that's amazing. He established 24, he had 24 praise teams, 24 courses of singers. It says they rest not day and night. Literally 24 hours around the ark, David had music and singing. And anybody that wanted to could have access to the ark. No veil, nothing. Just be there in the presence of that glory with all that singing. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. He polled all the singers. We need a choir director. We need a worship leader. How about Draylen? No. We want a guy named Heman. Or we, yeah, we want a guy named Heman. I, I don't have time to go on all this. Just proof text me when you go home and study it. Heman is the great, 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 great grandson of Korah, who was a rebel. And that's why when you study Psalms, there are 11 Psalms dedicated to what is known as a song for the sons of Korah. And I found this verse. It says in 1 Chronicles 6 and verse 32. And they ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of the congregation was singing until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then they waited on their office according to their order. In other words, when Solomon became king, he built this brand new church house and he took the ark out of Zion and put it back behind the veil. But for the dynasty of David, that ark is available to anybody that wants to. Hallelujah. Well, if you know your Bible, when they came out of Egypt, it said a mixed multitude came out with them. You, some commentaries say that was Jewish girls that married Egyptians. And I'm sure that probably went on. They were down there for a long time. However, when I study the scripture, it appears to me there's three large categories. You have Israel. And then there are Egyptians that came out of Egypt with Israel. It's not in the Bible, but it is what's known as the Talmud, the, the, the writings of the rabbis. In the Talmud, it says that it took three generations for an Egyptian to proselyte into the Jewish faith. But in the Bible, there's another large group. They're known as the strangers. It's the Heinz 57. See, Israel's not the only people in slavery. Egypt's a world power. They have, they got armies everywhere. They're, they got all kinds of POWs. Here, you're going to do this and work for us. It's kind of cool because, you know, the Bible said they're down there 430 years. I proved to you in a Bible study one time that 430 years, it wasn't all captivity because it took, you know, how many years? 100 years until finally it says there was a Pharaoh that didn't know who Joseph was. I think it was 300 years. But when you get really specific, I think it's 144. It looks to me like the last 144 years of their captivity in Egypt was slavery. 
So when they left, the Bible said God gave them favor and they spoiled Egypt. You know, hey, would you mind if I borrowed that silver thing you got there? No, sure, go right ahead. Well, could I have it? See, later on they built the tabernacle of Moses and Moses took up an offering. These are slaves, man. Where'd they get the stuff? Because when you build the tabernacle of Moses, it's gold and silver sockets and it's elaborate. And in fact, I, I did it when we were starting our Imagine campaign. They, they took up such a massive offering that Moses said, we don't need any more. You've given enough. Boy, wouldn't that be fun? I said, hey, just no more. We're done. We got it paid off. <laughs> Where did he get that stuff? God paid them back in full for 144 years of free labor. Just buried them in stuff. And it's, it, it, it's fabulous the way this thing happens. And, 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 and when, 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 when Solomon built the temple, wow. I, I read one book said you couldn't afford to build the temple of Solomon today. That's how much money it cost. What fascinates me is this guy, Obed-Edom. He's not a Jew. He's not an Egyptian. He is lumped into this other bunch. He's a Philistine. He is what's known as a stranger. Very clear in the Bible. It took 10 generations for a stranger to be accepted in the Jewish faith. Solomon becomes king. He builds this massive church house. And he needs people to work in it. Watch what I found. This is 2 Samuel, uh, let's see, or 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 24. Because 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles 15 are companion texts. And Shebaniah and Jehoshaphat and Nathaniel and Amaziah and Zechariah and Benaniah and Eleazar the priest did blow with the trumpets before the ark of God. They're taking the ark into Solomon's temple. And Obed-Edom and Jehiah were doorkeepers for the ark. Is it possible that's the same God? Is it possible that this Philistine who had the ark in his house for three months and saw the obvious blessing on everything he had because of the glory of God, who obviously stayed very close to it while it was on Zion, but when that ark was taken back through the holy place and into the holy of holies, he can't go there. But what he could do is open up the door for anybody else and say, this is as close as I can get to it now. But while I was close to this box, this box changed my life. It affected my family. I have never been the same. I'm going to stay as close to this box as I can for the rest of my life. So I found these 11 Psalms dedicated to the sons of Korah. But then I found Psalms 84. 
And if you have a Bible, it'll say Psalms 84. If you have any kind of study Bible at all, it'll say Psalms 84. And then there's a heading and then it's verse one. But the heading for Psalms 84 said this. It says to the chief musician of Giddeth. Now there's a massive debate and it's never been solved. What in the world is Giddeth? Now a lot of people believe it was a stringed instrument that David found while he was in Gath. Because this is the place where David feigned himself to be mad. And if you study the, the just find the word feigned himself to be, that feigned, F-E-I-G-N-E-D, feigned. Do your homework with it if you've got a Strong's Concordance. It's the same word translated again and again and again in the Old Testament, praise. We think David was just being stupid. No, he's magnifying the Lord. And they thought he was mad. Sound familiar? <laughs> Paul one time said, we're fools for Christ's sake. I don't care what this world says. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So there's a debate. It's either a Philistine instrument or... <laughs> It's dedicated to a Gittite. And the reason this intrigues me is when you go down to verse number 10, it says this, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. <laughs> is it possible that this psalm is not just dedicated to the sons of Korah, but to a Philistine who should have never been in the church, who should have never had anything to do with the glory of God. But when that thing ended up in his house, it changed him for the rest of his life. And for the rest of his life, he did everything he could to give somebody else access to the thing that affected him. My message, ladies and gentlemen, is stay close. Stay as close as you possibly can because you know and I know that Holy Ghost stuff changed my life. Changed my family. It changed my future. Everything about it. Will you stand with me? And let's do what the Psalm said. Clap your hands, oh ye people. And shout unto God with the voice of triumph. <laughs> Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causeth to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts and be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. I was glad when they said unto me, hey, let's go to church. Yes, sir, let's go. Why? I don't know about you, but my life has been filled with the, the Bible said the blessing of the Lord will make you rich and he'll add no sorrow to it. I read a thing a couple months ago about all these people that won the lottery and the devastation it has brought into their house. And I'll tell you what, you're looking at a rich man right now. My daddy used to sing a song years ago when I was a kid. I'm a poor rich man. I'm a poor rich man. 
You just, I forget all the rest of it. It's hard to see what's happened to me. I'm a millionaire. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his abundant riches and glory. You got ashes, he's got beauty. You got despair, he's got a garment of praise. He's saying, let's trade. I'm so grateful to be a part of the kingdom. I'm so grateful to be a part of the family of God. What an honor it is to serve Jesus Christ. Let's do everything we can to just keep opening doors and saying, hey, you need to come in here. I promise you, this is going to affect you. This is going to, this is going to deeply affect you. I want people to come to church and go, whoa, what was that? What was that? See, I, see, God is spirit, right? He's spirit. And you, you, I, I've taught you for how long now? Capital S, God's spirit. Little S, you know, our spirit. When you read Romans 8, it says his spirit, capital S, bears witness with our spirit, little S, that we're his children. Don't you get it? You got a spirit, you got a soul, you got a body. Soul is the mental aspect, the emotional. Physical body, that's, that's flesh. See, you get in church... And all of a sudden, the presence of God, which is spirit, it's not soul, it's not mental, it's not education, it's sure not flesh. It bypasses the flesh. It bypasses your mind. And all of a sudden, the spirit goes, wow, what is that? That's, that's, remember that baseball guy years ago, Yogi Berra? He said, it's like deja vu all over again. <laughs> I think that's what happened when people get in the presence of the Lord for the first time. Their spirit goes, I've been here before. This is where I came from. It is our job as the church to do what that woman did years ago. Break that box and fill that room with that aroma. Fill that room with the presence of the Lord. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Amen. What's going on? You read the book of Romans. It says, it says that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. That's the word of faith which we preach. We have the ability to break the box to where the spirit comes out of the cracks of your thought life and your flesh and fills the atmosphere in this place and literally burglarizes, amen, burglarizes the brain of someone else and that spirit goes, I like this, I like this, I like this. I don't know about you, but man, you leave the presence of the Lord, nobody got naked, nobody got drunk, nobody's smoking dope, nobody's cussing, nobody's telling a filthy story, there's no guilt, there's no shame, it's just a good experience. This is a great, this is a better way to live. Come with me, come with me. I know it's raining outside, so what? We've been needing some rain, but what a delight it is. I am here to encourage you. You've been close. Stay close. Don't drift. Don't walk away. Stay as near to him as you possibly can. They're sitting there, you know, all those disciples, Last Supper. It says John has his head on the chest of Jesus. And Jesus has said, one of you is going to betray me. And they're looking at one another and said, is it you? What about you? Said, mm, ask, ask John. Ask John. Why? Because if his head is on the chest of Jesus, the breast, it says, he can hear the heartbeat of the Lord. You stay close to Jesus. I told you a couple days ago, I, Brother Morgan taught it to me in Mississippi. You want to see the power of God? Do his purpose, accomplish his purpose. 
he'll show his power. He's not going to show up and show off his power just to vindicate and validate you and me. He will show his power if you and I do his bidding in this community. I want to stay close to him. I want to pray for people and they get healed. I, 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 I want to pray for people and they feel something. I, 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 I want a manifestation of his glory. I don't want to just be a Bible church. I don't want to just be a word church. I want to be a glorious church. Let's magnify him and sing with these precious people behind him. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, you found me. You healed me. You called me from called me the grave. Me. You gave me a real love. And thank you, Jesus. Oh, you washed my, my sins, sins away. away. And now I'm living. Like I'm forgiven. forgiven. <laughs> you came and oh. saved me. But your mercy did for me. Lord, you found me. You healed me. You called me from the grave. You gave me a real life. I thank you, Jesus. You washed my sins away. And now I'm living just like I'm given. You came and set me free. Your love.